From Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. Hello. This is a prepaid debit call from... Daniel Jones. An inmate at the Northern State Correctional Facility. Hi, is this Daniel? Hello. Michael. Yep, this is Daniel. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. It's a good morning. Beautiful day. Well, thanks for taking the time out to chat. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. Daniel Jones is 38. He's been behind bars for 16 years, serving a 25-year sentence for a crime he committed in 2002. I was an addict when I was a kid. Um, you know, didn't get help with that. And, uh, it turned into a situation where I was robbing a drug dealer and um, I accidentally took one of their lives. And it was a tragic, tragic accident and uh, unintentional. But So I'm looking for a second chance. Daniel's petitioning for an early release that could send him home as soon as next year. But in the meantime, he's already cast a vote in the 2018 primary election. I voted in the primaries and the locals. Vermont and Maine are the only two states that don't place any restrictions on voting rights for convicted felons. Daniel's taken advantage of those rights for the past 10 years. I started following politics in um, 2008 before Obama was elected. I actually voted for him. I was out of state in Kentucky serving my sentence there and just became interested in, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that was going on. I felt like some sort of kind of passionate about it. And when I found out that I could actually vote as a Vermont inmate, it helped me to feel like I could still feel connected with my community and um, gave me a little hope. Can you give me a sense of how many people around you take advantage of it? Yeah, so this is something that I recognized um, when I voted, is that there was a small percentage of people who actually were taking advantage of their right to vote. And I was curious about that and wondering why. And I think it's it's just a defeated spirit. They feel like they haven't been heard all their life, you know, hence why they're in prison and, you know, broken. And I think they just, they're defeated and pretty much say, you know, what's the point? You know, no one cares what I think. I'm not going to make a difference. And I think that's what it is. But for those who um, do gain that sense of appreciation, it does give them a voice and it does give them that motivation to want to be a part of their community and change. It's like uh, it's a good spark for that, you know. It tears the wall down between society and people who have, um, you, know, you know, committed crimes and, and um, you know, made mistakes in their past. It, it allows them to feel like they can make amends and build bridges and become part of their society and a productive member of their society. I know there's people out there who say that people who have been convicted of crimes and broken the law shouldn't have a say in who is helping to create the laws. What's your response to that? I say that is, that's unforgiveness. That's a lack of compassion and empathy. You know, where is um, the hope in that? You know, people make mistakes. When a child makes a mistake, a parent doesn't shun them and cast them out and just completely take all their rights their whole life. No. They forgive them, guide them, and try to be there in a loving way and make them feel like that they do belong and that they they can do better. You know, I think um, just this lack of forgiveness. It's, it's one of the things that is wrong with this, this country is, um, you know, Not enough forgiveness, not enough um, compassion and love. Do you talk to other inmates about voting and politics? 
I have, yes. Um, I actually tried to get people to vote. Um, I handed out ballots, um, registration forms. Not many people do follow politics in here. More of them just complain about it. And a lot of times <laughs> I just uh, say, you know, if, if you're going to complain, you know, do something about it. You have a right. You have an opportunity to actually have a say and do something instead of complaining about it. But it seems like a lot of people are content complaining. How do you fight against that? It's hard. It, it's frustrating. Um, it's, uh, I got a lot of murmuring and groaning and complaining around me and pessimistic people. And it's just that defeated spirit that they have. They're so used to just being cast out and labeled and forgotten about and kind of shunned. It's embittered them, you know? Yeah, what kind of things do you say to try and break people out of that? That they have to uh, forgive, you know. Uh, they they also have to forgive, you know, instead of holding grudges and, and blaming others. And I, I say that, you know, you have a choice to, to make a difference and, and prove them all wrong. Instead of being angry or bitter about it, start doing something about it, you know. That'll make you feel better. That'll motivate you. You'll feel like you're doing something productive, and that'll just build you up. I'm curious how you get information about who's running in elections. The news. <laughs> and the papers. So I, I watch the news and I read papers and, uh, you know, I follow what's going on. And Not so much lately because uh, it's kind of been frustrating, you know. So I kind of had to step back from it. I'm curious what you think about the candidates that are in the running right now. I am more on the side of um, building our economy and um, it seems that I leaned, I'm not one or the other, Republican or Democrat it seems, but it seems that I lean more towards Republican but I agree with a lot of, you know, the things on a Democratic standpoint so I'm kind of like in between on different things I'm a man of faith I believe in looking ahead and looking at what is in front of us at the moment and uh, building. I believe in truth. I believe in working together in unity, not fighting back and forth for power. And Do you feel like we've been seeing some of that happening lately, like more I, more fighting I among do. the parties? More fighting than anything, you know, and it's distracting. And um, while the people, you know, are just like, you know, frustrated and they just want change. So this is, they're voting just for change. And that's why I think Trump was elected because they just, he's not a cookie cutter politic. And uh, people are starving for change for something new because the same old, same old is, you know, and hasn't been doing it. Where do you think that frustration comes from? Um, I think it comes from, a lack of hope. A lack of direction, security. Uh, thing is, things are uncertain and shaky everywhere you turn. It's just like there's too much bickering back and forth, and there's no absolute. There's no security. It's just one side fighting for power, the other side fighting for power. Every four years, people want to fight for power, and that's really that's it's frustrating. We need more unity. People working together, fighting for you know truth and justice, and, and for the people, the everyday working people. Do you think elections help take us closer to that unity? Because I know a lot of times people look at elections as kind of the the symbol of those parties fighting each other. Because it's when you often hear people 
making speeches and, and trying to tear the other side down. Yes. See, I think um, when they have an opportunity to speak, it should be about, you know, building and hope and, and solutions and working together and ways that they can do that, not about tearing the other party down and, you know, focusing on the negatives, and, you know, because it's distracting and it's not, it's not, you know, it's not progressive. Preserving ballot access for felons is only one of Vermont's moves towards getting and keeping more voters enrolled. The state is heading into the 2018 elections with some of the most expansive voting laws in the country. I just look at Vermont as a great example of really filling in all of the holes or all the cracks. This is Natalie Tennant. Natalie used to be the Secretary of State in West Virginia. Now she's a voting rights expert at the Brennan Center for Justice. You know, one year, Vermont gets passed same-day voter registration, and then the next year, it's automatic voter registration. You see that there's not one policy that's going to break down all the barriers. So that's why it's important to have all of these different policies in place that help to reach all the voters and reach the voters where they are. I would say that Vermont leads the way. Next week's primaries are the first statewide elections since Vermont implemented automatic voter registration. Here's how Secretary of State Jim Condos describes that system. When you contact the Department of Motor Vehicles for your driver's license, you will be given an opportunity to opt out if you don't want to register. They'll ask you, do you want to register to vote? And the reason being is that they ask the same three questions, for instance, for real ID. You have to be an American citizen, 18 or over, and a Vermont resident. It's the same three questions that we ask on the voter registration form. And once they're considered registered, they will get a a letter that uh, will tell them, uh, you've been registered to vote, here's your location, whatever. It's just basic information. Got it. And you said the system's been working pretty well so far. How do you go about measuring that? Well, we can measure it because we have have voter registration data based going back at least till 1970s. So we can actually see how the voter registrations have worked in the past. It's available on our website. You can actually pull it up yourself and you can see how the numbers have changed. Uh, What we have seen from automatic voter registration is there used to be a huge drop off in the off election year. So you might run, for instance, in 2016, in January of 2016, we had about 425,000 registered voters by election day, it was 470. Since then, and with the implementation of AVR, we haven't seen that huge drop off. What we see is maybe five or 10,000 less. It seems to be more consistent. You know, a number I point to often for Vermont is, um, you know, the first six months in 2017, um, compared to the first six months of 2016, it was like a 62% increase of voter registration through the DMV, of new and updated voter registration through the DMV. And and you can even add in there, and you know, in 2016 was a it was a presidential year. So you can see um, the impact that it has. I believe some of those numbers slowed down a little bit in Vermont, uh, maybe the second half of 2017 and into 18, but still strong numbers. So we know that automatic voter registration is adding certain numbers of people to the rolls, but how do we find out, are those people actually voting? You know, the, the focus for 
measuring success for automatic voter registration has been Oregon because they passed it in 2015, implemented in 16, had the full election in the fall of, of 16. And so we're able to point to some of those numbers. In 2016, about 226,000 people were registered through the DMV in Oregon. 100,000 of those voted in the November election. And what they found was that the AVR registered voters were more likely than the traditional voters to be from uh, rural areas, low income, low educated areas. So that's how you can measure through their voter history. And that's what they were able to do. So 100,000 out of 226 was about 40% of the AVR registrants. I put the same question to Condos. So we're seeing more people get registered, even in off years. How do we know that those people are going to come vote? That's what we don't know. My belief is that we should register every eligible American that we can. And then it's up to them whether they actually vote. By having people registered to vote, that is the first step. You know, the ultimate step is, yes, getting them to vote, but, but you've broken down a barrier that people got registered. Now, Vermont kind of catches them both ways. It, it's a very complementary system because if you have automatic voter registration, you're getting those folks who have interacted with the DMV, but say they didn't get to the DMV. You know, most of us go every five years, right, to, sure. to update our, our license. But say you hadn't been to the DMV, well, Vermont catches them on election day. You decide, oh, uh, this is a hot, heated race for whatever office it is, and uh, I want to go vote. So you can go on election day. That's why these two policies are complementary. Automatic voter registration would lighten the load for for a state that has same-day registration, and same-day registration can pick up anyone who's fallen through the cracks and haven't interacted with the state agency. So we've got automatic voter registration. We've got same-day registration. I know that we also have a pretty long early voting window. And I know also that we are one of the few states that allows incarcerated felons to vote. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, big picture with all these policies put together, how do we compare to other states in terms of how we decide who's eligible to vote and how they're allowed to vote? Yeah, well, deciding who's eligible to vote... um, you know, is pretty similar across the board, except for Vermont and Maine that allow um, those who are incarcerated to vote um, while they are incarcerated. There are some states that um, allow you to vote after you've served your probation or parole, like in West Virginia. There are some states that have a, um, a lifetime ban on voting. Interestingly, folks in Florida are going to get to vote on that. They're going to get to decide if people um, under certain conditions have a felony, if they'll be restored their right to vote. Because, I mean, you just think about this. And, and it's like, I, I there's no use for me to say it in Vermont because it's truly preaching to the choir. You can't get any better <laughs> than what Vermont and Maine are doing by, by um, allowing those who are incarcerated to vote. But, you know, if we want to rehabilitate people and we want people to be able to get back into society after you serve your time, yeah, you did something wrong. Yeah, you should be punished for it. Yeah, you should serve your time. But when you've served, you deserve to get back into society. Otherwise, there might be situations when you feel you are feeling less of a citizen and you might go back into your old ways. And so having that right to vote makes that difference. You feel um, more as a whole person, more as an equal, because what does voting do? 
it's it's equal. Everybody has one vote on election day, no matter how rich you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter your status in life, you all have that one vote. People should be allowed to use their constitutional right to cast a ballot, regardless of their situation. Homeless people are allowed to vote. They're allowed to register. They're allowed to vote. The same for incarcerated individuals. The same for people who own homes. The same for people who rent homes. We, we make no distinction there. And uh, What we've seen around the country since 2010 is a lot of voter suppression. For instance, voter ID, purging of voter rolls, things like that. What we're trying to do is make sure that people have the opportunity to vote, to be able to cast that ballot. You're involved with other secretaries of state. You've testified before Congress. Looking at it on a national level, does it become problematic when there are states that are providing such divergent levels of access to voters? I guess I would say that I'm, I've been pretty vocal about it personally. It does bother me when I see other states that are reducing early vote periods, sometimes from 30 days to 20 days or 10 days or even reduce it, getting or eliminating it. Um, it bothers me when I see the voter ID because voter ID is one of the single most discriminatory practices. It, it discriminates against young adults. It discriminates against seniors low-income, and minorities. I just wonder what is going to happen next. I mean, it seems like there are these two very divergent paths that different states are taking. You know, what do you see in the near future for this debate about voting rights across the country? Well, first of all, uh, let's be clear. Widespread voter fraud is non-existent. Uh, There have been several studies that have been done. Uh, I think there was one done by a Loyola University um, law professor out in California. He reviewed one billion votes in federal, state, and local elections over the course of about 10 or 12 years or something. One billion votes, and he found possibly 31 cases of potential voter fraud. Most voter fraud that occurs are really, it's accidental or it's, it's a misinterpretation of the law. To me, it, it, it just is incredible that, that we are still having this conversation from time to time. You know, voting is a constitutional right. And in fact, the courts have been starting to uphold or put blocks in place to prevent obstructions from being placed in front of people who are trying to vote. We shouldn't have things that prevent people from voting. So you think there's hope that we could kind of move on from this debate at, at some point in the future? I would hope so. I would hope so. And I think that I think if we have states like Vermont and Oregon and Washington and other states, California, even you know Maine, that if we can show the way um, that there is a better way uh, and, and that we protect, we still protect voters' rights, but at the same time are making it easier for people to be able to cast a ballot, I think that that, that will show a strong path forward to do the right thing. Daniel Jones, the inmate at Northern State Correctional Facility, hopes his next vote will be from a polling place. I filed a PCR and... Sorry, what's a PCR? uh, Post-conviction relief. It was based on an issue. uh, My lawyer wasn't present during a PSI, which is a pre-sentence investigation that they do where they would decide what kind of a sentence I got. I could argue for a low end of a plea, and the state could argue for a high end of a plea. So I pled out. Mm. I was unprepared and um, kind of 
said things uh, that was used against me during my sentencing, so it kind of prejudiced my sentence. So that's what it's the post-conviction release is based on. It's more like, allow me another chance to argue for the low end of my plea, which was 15, which is the low end, or at least some of my uh, time off so that I can get a second chance and uh, go home. And so that's where we're at right now. I'm waiting for the judge to decide. Um, and it's been a, it's been seven years I've been waiting for this and uh, hoping. A lot has happened since I've been in. I've, uh, a lot of change. You know, I came in at 22. I'm 38, you know, this month, next month I'm going on 38. And just hopeful, you know, to get out, get a second chance at life and just live, you know. So when this decision comes down, what could that mean, you know, you're out in the next year? Like, what what's I'm, the timeline like? Here's what I, I've asked for, um, eight years off my minimum, which would leave me one year left. So what that would do is I was I would program, do the program that they offer at the facility, um, and then I would be eligible to go home. And that's what I'm hoping for. That's what um, we're asking for. We'll see, you know. it's uh, They don't know who I am. They just know who I was. 16 years ago and they had the paper in front of them of my history and my past but they have no clue who I am today and uh, that's kind of frustrating and stuff that's why I say you know there needs to be more focusing on the present and the future and and not so much on the past and and have you know forgiveness and second chances and they need people need to believe in that more you know because people like me need that hope they need to know that they're not going to be labeled and stigmatized the rest of their life well, Daniel, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time out. This has uh, been really good talking to you. I'm glad I can help. And thank you for listening. Bye. find more coverage of next week's elections at vtdigger.org. And if you want to learn more about how to vote, check out our voter guide. It's at vtdigger.org elections. We've got information from the Secretary of State's office on how to register and how to cast a ballot. The Deeper Dig is our weekly podcast. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend or a colleague to check it out. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend.